are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. Happy Monday, everybody. Hopefully you had an awesome weekend and are geared up for a week that's going to include actual NBA basketball that counts towards regular season records, playoff seating, and all the things for the first time in more than four months. Last weekend, weekend, of course, saw scrimmages get underway in Orlando, and that was definitely a great sight to see. There were some interesting performances, some really good performances, some teams that impressed, um, unfortunately, some injuries, uh, but all that got underway last week, and uh, this week it counts, so um, it should be a lot of fun. On today's show, I'd like to touch on the most recent news related to the Timberwolves' ownership situation and the team being on the market. There were some things that broke late on Friday that we didn't address last week here on Lockdown Wolves, so we'll talk about that. Also, uh, first up today, we're going to have a conversation about the latest on the potential for the non Orlando teams to get together and have some semblance of um, of activity, uh, you know, league league sanctioned team activity here in the next few weeks. So we'll touch on that here in just a second. First, before we do that, a quick reminder, as always, to please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Locked on T Wolves. That's at Locked on T Wolves. Don't forget the T. All right. So obviously the Orlando bubble is well underway. Games start this Friday, the 31st. And of course, the Timberwolves are one of the eight teams not included. There was some talk a few weeks ago, kind of right before the COVID-19 numbers started going up around most of the country, um, including really, I mean, really the whole country, except for basically New York, I guess, um, Right before that, there was some discussion about a possible Delete 8 bubble happening in Chicago with non-Orlando teams. So, of course, the Timberwolves, the Warriors, Hawks, Cavs, Hornets, Pistons, Knicks, and Bulls. And it sounded like most teams, except for the Warriors and Knicks, were were in on that. Um, the Timberwolves, Hawks, Pistons, it sounded like were the teams that were the loudest about wanting to do it. The Timberwolves even tried to say that they could host it in Minneapolis. And ultimately... This this hasn't been talked about. There hasn't been any news on it publicly. I think largely because of the the COVID, the uptick in COVID cases. Also, probably um, with the start of the actual the twenty two teams that are in Orlando, just hasn't been something that's been as of as much interest um, nationally. But this week, um, Rick Bennell at the Charlotte Observer reported that the NBA is close to finalizing plans for the eight non Orlando teams to hold their own practices and group workouts starting the second week of August, which of course is, I guess, not next week, but the week after. It's only two weeks from now. And they'll also give teams the option to conduct two weeks of group workouts and scrimmages at at two sites. Um, what that tells me, the way that this reads to me is basically if the teams want to decide to get together for scrimmages, they could choose to do it in, say, Detroit and Chicago or Minneapolis and Chicago, but they're not going to allow teams you know, multiple teams to travel to multiple cities. They're not going to allow teams to pair off and have four different scrimmage sites or, or what have you. They're going to try and in, in that scenario, they'd recreate the same bubble sort of, um, I guess, protocols that they have in Orlando and be subject to the same safety protocols that they have in Orlando. And so this allows a team like Golden State to say, nah, we're good. We'll stay on the West Coast. Remember, they're the only team west of the Twin Cities 
that's not in the bubble. Um, so they'd have to travel across the country to scrimmage anybody. They've got a pretty veteran team or at least their best players are veterans. Um, I don't know that Steph Curry, I mean, he said publicly he wouldn't be interested in doing some sort of a pointless scrimmage at this point. And it would allow the Timberwolves and Bulls, if they wanted to get together you know, more regionally, or the Timberwolves and Pistons or whoever, if they wanted to play and get together and scrimmage, they could do that. So it looks like it would start with a week of practice at the Wolves' own practice facility, and then they would have the option to have a second week where they had group workouts and or scrimmages. And if they could convince a team to come to the Twin Cities, it sounds like that's the Wolves' preference. I would think that Mayo Clinic Square facilities are as good or better than most practice facilities. Um, And so if the Wolves can get one of those teams to travel in, I think that would be their preference given everything we know about, about what Gerson Rosas and the Wolves front office would like to do. So, um, at the moment, of course, practice facilities are open, but they're only for individual skill work. So players can come in, but they can't have group workouts. I think there's a limit on the number of players allowed in the facility and on the court at the same time. There's a number of protocols in place, but if you've been, if you follow the Timberwolves on social media, you've no doubt seen that a a bunch of guys have been in town. We've talked about that here, you know, Nas Reed, Josh Akogi, uh, Jake Lehman, Keelan Martin, um, Jordan McLaughlin, all those guys have been in town for the better part of of the summer, it sounds like, and have been practicing and training individually at the facility, but but the Wolves are limiting, or the league is limiting, I should say, due to safety concerns about how many people can do that. So uh, that'll be interesting to, to keep an eye on to see what, what kind of comes together there. Um, and uh, and if if how involved the Wolves will be if they'll be able to get a player to travel in and, or excuse me, a team to travel in and take part in practicing in the Twin Cities. But um, that'll certainly be something to, to watch. One other quick piece of news that I want to hit, if you pay attention at all the NBA over the past few weeks, you knew that the Knicks, the New York Knicks favorite for their head coaching job was Tom Thibodeau. And it was announced over the weekend that they would be hiring him. There was late last week, there was an impasse of sorts over the contract. It sounds like they, they actually stopped talking for a bit and the Knicks were looking at other candidates because of some sort of contract demands that Tibbs was making. But at any rate, we don't know the terms yet. It's not officially been announced by the team, but Tibbs is going to be hired by the New York Knicks to be their head coach. And of course, uh, his former boss and good buddy, Jeff Van Gundy spoke out saying that Tibbs is the right coach to run the team. He's an elite coach were the words used by Jeff Van Gundy. And, um, we'll, we'll see what, uh, we'll see what his bench looks like, but I would imagine it looks pretty similar to his bench in Minnesota. According to a report by the New York Post, Mark Berman, the Knicks first offered the job on Thursday morning, but there was a counter offer from Tibbs and they didn't really make progress until Saturday. So it sounds like the impasse was mostly throughout the day, Friday on what that could look like. Um, so I I mean, I guess good for the Knicks to get a coach, good for Tibbs to get a job. He's not a bad NBA coach. I don't think anybody suggested that. He's been successful in the majority of his seasons that he's coached. He doesn't have a bona fide superstar in New York right now. Um, You know, there's some potential there, certainly. He's got a bunch of veterans who are rotation player type guys that are on various, most of them on like two-year deals from Wayne Ellington to... Taj Gibson. Um, there's, there's a number of those guys there, Julius Randall, and it'll be interesting to see what this looks like. Obviously the, the big difference between that job and the Wolves job is, well, he doesn't have Carl Anthony Towns. That's the first thing. The second thing is he's not the president of basketball operations. And so he's not going to have, you know, Leon Rose, the former, uh, he's the president, the former agent. And so he's going to be the one in charge of acquiring players. It's probably better for Tibbs to just coach. Uh, we'll see what they try and do in New York, but Clearly, they think he's going to be an asset when it comes to recruiting free agents to go play 
at Madison Square Garden. So, um, I, I mean, you know, I, I've I've expressed my thoughts of Tibbs on this podcast. We'll see if he can adjust. Mostly, the the biggest question is, can he adjust? Especially, well, really on both ends of the court, can he incorporate the three point shot more into his offense? Can he find a way to guard a pick and roll that that is more conducive to today's modern offenses versus the you know outstanding defense he put together 15 years ago in Boston, almost 15 years ago, I guess. 14 years ago, 13 years ago, something like that. Um, can he adjust and can the team actually fi- sign free agents? Cause they haven't really done that for as much as everybody talks about them, that being a free agent destination. They, other than Amari Stoudemire, they basically haven't attracted big name free agents there in the past decade plus. So um, that'll be a, a really interesting situation to keep an eye on. All right, before we get into the Timberwolves ownership news, let's talk about our great friends at rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person at the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand that their warehouse happens to carry? You have a computer with access to rockauto.com both at home and in your pocket. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low. RockAuto.com also offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear, like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. The RockAuto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the exact same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. All right, the latest news on the Timberwolves ownership situation. Of course, last week we found out, last Tuesday, I guess almost a week ago, there was a ton of news that broke. Glenn Taylor was going to sell the team. It was on the market. Then there was a rumor that Kevin Garnett was interested. Then he confirmed that he was interested. And uh, Glenn Taylor gave a couple interviews locally and confirmed that the team was for sale, that it would stay in Minnesota. And then throughout the week, there were a couple of other pieces of news. The Will family who owns the Minnesota Vikings was rumored to be interested. And then John Krasinski of The Athletic reported that while they had discussed it with Glenn Taylor, they currently were not in the running and don't have an offer on the table for the team. And uh, we knew that that the current minority owner um, and New York real estate developer Meyer Orbach is part of a group with an offer on the table. He currently owns about 10% of the team and is obviously looking to become the majority owner. And then the news that we haven't discussed here on the show broke late Friday, um, Friday afternoon, I guess, that Aaron Aflalo, the former NBA player, of course, is the face of another bid that was supposed to come through this weekend, uh, which is fascinating on so many levels. One, of course, Aaron Aflalo is a former player who didn't make that much in in salary, something like a little over 50 million, and also never played for the Timberwolves, despite being, you know, playing for like seven different teams. Um, Just fascinating that that he would be the face of this bid. Uh, You know, learning a little bit more about it, reading through, initially it was an associated press report from Pat Graham and Dave Campbell, 
and the uh, the financing is being spearheaded by a venture capitalist by the name of Brock Berglund. And um, there's somewhere between two and five people with a combined net worth of $10 billion. Again, this is the AP's reporting. Aflalo would be the face of the group. And uh, their goal, according to the Associated Press, is, quote, seeking to place minorities in positions of power and uplift the community in the wake of the death of George Floyd, end quote. So um, really interesting. No idea who the rest of these people are. And Aflalo, I mean, who knows? Maybe he did well investing and in, in all that other stuff, but he's not going to, he's probably the the least wealthy of the folks involved in the bid if, if there's only two to five people involved. And we only know the name of the one venture capitalist, but really interesting that Aflalo would be so invested in this. And he's he's got a track record of, of, you know, he's seen as a guy who's been a good teammate, been involved in the community, et cetera. And so that, that dovetails with what we know about Aaron Aflalo, um, but just a really kind of out of nowhere situation. It certainly sounds that this is a, sounds like this is a completely separate group from the one that Kevin Garnett's part of. And um, I mean, clearly now Glenn's going to have somewhat of a bidding war in his hands. The Aflalo group, the Meyer Orbach group, the Garnett group, if the Wilfs re-enter the picture, that's four. Um, according to John Krasinski on The Athletic, he's after the Aflalo news broke. Um, John chimed in on Twitter and said that there has been, quote, a flood of interest and said that there's at least six or seven groups that are already at the table. Um, or Basically, once this broke on Tuesday last week, there's now six or seven groups. We know of, of four that have been involved and at least three that currently either have offers on the table or are ready to make an offer in the Orbach, Garnett, and Aflalo groups. Um we don't know anything about the other ones, but as we've discussed on this podcast, all NBA teams are worth well over a billion dollars. The Timberwolves are worth just a hair under 1.4 billion. And they're like the 28th ranked team in terms of valuation by Forbes. So third to last. And the teams that are like in the 10 to 12 range are only a little over 1.4 billion. So even though the Wolves are 28th, we're talking about a few tens of millions of dollars here and there. Obviously that matters, but in the grand scheme of things, all NBA teams are extremely valuable. And I'm sure that there's some appeal to the renovated target center, the new facilities in, in, in uh, Minneapolis at the Mayo Clinic Square. And of course, the team talent being on the rise, uh, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, Angel Russell. And apparently there's some appeal from the standpoint of trying to make a difference in a community that's obviously hurting. And and I don't want to trivialize the community and the and the problems and the racial tensions and the healing that the Twin Cities community needs to do. But Anybody who has some sort of goals related to activism is going to have a really strong platform to do so in the Twin Cities. And I would hope from a basketball perspective that whoever comes in and buys the team is going to give Gerson Rosas every opportunity that he deserves, given what he's done over the first 13, 14 months in charge now, to maintain that role. A lot of times when ownership comes in, they change executives. But in addition to everything he's done basketball-wise, the team of Ethan Casson on the business side, the CEO and Rosas and the basketball ops team have done a, a really great job so far of, you know, especially since I mean, the Wolves have always been fairly involved in the community, but especially post George Floyd's death at the end of May and the unrest that followed in the Twin Cities, they've done a good job of being active and, and being out there from Ryan Saunders to Josh Akogi. Um, the Timberwolves, both the front office down to the bench, the players and the coaches, are clearly invested and, and that matters. And it sounds like at least the Aflalo group, that's important to them. Kevin Garnett's tweet the other night, I think it was Tuesday night, said something to the effect of showing that Minnesota is a diverse and loving community or Minneapolis. Um, so 
those are things that are at the forefront of the minds of, of at least these two bids that have a, the face of the bid being an African-American man. And remember, there's only one black owner in the league and that's Michael Jordan. So if one of these groups gets, you know, ends up landing the franchise then they're going to be only the second black owner in the entire NBA. Um, and so there's, there's a little, some of that's at play here where, where the potential buyers are certainly that's forefront and their mind is, is, continuing to put um, African-Americans in positions of of power in the NBA and in business as a whole, and also being able to try and impact the community in Minneapolis, which clearly is is still hurting after the George Floyd tragedy earlier this, um, this summer. Um, so really interesting kind of a, another narrative to follow here is, is what the goals are besides obviously owning a franchise that's going to continue to go up in value. What, what's important to everybody that's involved. And I'm sure that Glenn Taylor is going to, going to, you know, he, he's going to be thoughtful about his decision. He's owned this team now for 26 years. He's going to, uh, he's going to think more than twice before he just pulls the trigger on a sale. And it certainly sounds like he's not simply going to sell to the highest bidder that he's considering other factors as well. So that's going to be really fascinating to watch. Um, and obviously as more news breaks, it certainly sounds like it could come together a lot quicker than initially anticipated, given how many groups are involved and, uh, the timing's not, not bad. I mean, why wait if, uh, if the right buyer is, is at the table. So we'll keep an eye on that and definitely talk about it here at lockdown wolves as, as things develop. All right. I want to wrap up today by talking about a few draft notes. There's been a couple of posts out there, a couple articles online with some, uh, a smattering of draft news. So I wanted to kind of talk through those and, and where we're at now. It's been a couple of weeks since we've talked draft. So that's coming up next. All right. A few minutes of draft talk here to finish off today. Uh, some news that I don't think we've talked about on this podcast, probably about 10 days ago or so, maybe two weeks, the NBA, there was a, a a report that the NBA was going to slide up the draft lottery from August 25th to 20th. I don't believe the leagues actually confirmed that publicly, but uh, that's less than a month from now, obviously. So it certainly sounds like that's going to happen. Um, so I guess that that cuts down our wait time by five days for some actual real tangible Timberwolves news. And then we'll have a better sense or we'll, we'll, we'll know, I guess, where the Timberwolves will be drafting at least for their first pick. And we'll have a better sense for um, you know, who to predict uh, in terms of mocking to mocking to the Timberwolves. We'll start to get more rumors, I would think regarding what teams are connected to what players, but there's been a little bit more that's come out here recently. And so I wanted to to peruse or I guess uh, pass along the highlights from perusing some of these articles. There's one at Bleacher Report by Jonathan Wasserman, who does a good job on the draft. There's some stuff and it's a really lengthy piece. There's some stuff that isn't really all that notable um, related to obviously teams looking to trade down. We've known that for a while. James Wiseman might be slipping out of the top three. That's something else we've kind of predicted. And, and I predicted, I, I think it's pretty likely Um, one note on a guy who I twice now in our locked on NBA network, delete eight mock draft that we've done a couple of these crossover episodes, one where the wolves had the third pick one where they had the fourth in both cases, I took Dayton's OB Toppin for the Timberwolves. I've explained that at length here. I know there's a lot of you that disagree with me based on, um, Twitter comments and that's totally fine. And I get that, but I've made my case for Toppin as a kind of an all in offensive move, trying to put an Amari Stoudemire light next to Carl Anthony Towns is absolutely terrifying in the open floor and in the half court offensively. Um, And there's a note in here from Wasserman at Bleacher Report that says Toppin could go as high as three, according to some team executives. They've heard top four, they've heard three to eight. 
um, there's a high confidence level in his production carrying over. And basically he's got a really high floor. So according to Wasserman, now I'll read this directly. He says with the golden state Warriors in win now mode, the Cavs, Hawks, Knicks, Suns, and Timberwolves likely anxious about improving and less interested in adding another project. Toppin, who's viewed as more NBA ready than most, figures have plenty of suitors despite his age. So that's the only connection to the Timberwolves is just that he doesn't think they want another prospect. But I mean, he also just listed like basically every team in the lottery. So I, I don't I don't know that that really means a whole lot. Uh, but it is true, the, the fact that Toppin's got a high floor and that he could step in and probably be the starting four pretty quickly as a rookie. And he is older. He's He's already 22 years old. I mean, that's, he could be a very plug and play type guy for a team like the Timberwolves versus some of the, some of the guys who are younger, you know, Killian Hayes, who also is mentioned in this article, by the way, as sliding and and basically not, not as highly thought of by teams as by some of the draft experts out there. And remember I had him first on my initial draft big board. He's still going to be pretty high for me uh, when I redo this. I don't know if he'll be first, but um, he is somebody that, that the Timberwolves, again, going all in on offense could kind of replicate D'Angelo Russell's skill set once again, and have a couple of guys that can score, um, in a variety of ways. And I think there's something to be said for that. So, but he's still probably a little bit more of a project. A lot of these three and D guys, whereas Toppin should be able, he has a pretty refined offensive game already and should be able to step in and and be effective from day one. Uh, one other note in this article that's not Timberwolves specific, but interesting is that if you're a university of Minnesota, golden Gophers basketball fan, Daniel Oturu, who came out a year early, um, and often is being mocked early in the second round. Occasionally you'll see a late first round, even mid second round. I mean, he's kind of all over the place, basically once you get into the, uh, the late twenties. Uh, but I would say his average spot that you're seeing him in mock drafts is, is like in the thirties to early forties, um, in the, uh, in the second round, of course, he averaged a 20 and 11 and two and a half blocks last year at Minnesota. And actually, I'm sorry. I said he came out a year early. He came out two years early. He only played two years at Minnesota. Um, the Wasserman article at Bleacher Report quotes a scout saying, um, quote, from talking with guys around the league, I think Oturu is going to go higher than people think, maybe top 20 to 25, um, is, is what the scout said. And basically the combination of his size and his, uh, his all the, the post ability and mid range touch that he's got already, the fact that he improves so much from freshman to sophomore year, both at the free throw line and beyond the arc. And he's a, a solid rim protector already. He's got to work a little bit on his body. He's moderately athletic, but he needs to do some work there and he's got to solidify his range. Um, in a draft like this, there's a couple of things there that that lend themselves to higher upside than a bunch of other guys who might otherwise be similar players and might have similar college production. Um, and so I think that gives Oturu a little bit of an edge um, to be sure as, as we get into the draft. So really interesting to see where he ends up getting selected. I don't know that he's a fit for the Timberwolves necessarily um, unless they take, you know, especially if they took a guy like Toppin early, they won't need a... a a four or five, like a Turu. They like Nas Reed. Um, a Turu's outside shot is shaky enough. I don't think he's somebody that Timberwolves will look at, but he probably will go off the board right around that late first, early second round where the Wolves should have number uh, the 33rd pick in the draft. I just don't think he's a candidate for the Timberwolves. Um, but I'm a Gophers fan and I thought um, probably a lot of our listeners are. And so I think that's just an interesting uh, analysis, of a, analysis of a Turu's draft stock. All right. That's all we have for you today. Tomorrow on Tuesday show, we are going to have the results of the Lockdown NBA podcast network, the host poll on the NBA awards. On Friday, we talked a little bit about the the nominees for each of the positions on the ballot. So we'll talk about the results of the polling on Tuesday show, among other news and notes around the Timberwolves.
All right, that's all we have for you today. Thanks once again for listening to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Remember, the Locked On Network is your local experts on the biggest stories. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, at Locked On T-Wolves. That's at Locked On T-Wolves. Don't forget the T. Reminder, today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked On Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.